0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Total Media Networks uh, Neil Haley Show here on the Brian Chris Cress Fit Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited to welcome to Brian Cress. Brian, how are you? And you Great, are you in the south, well. in the south South Carolina or North Carolina right now, Brian? Uh, I'm in North
1: Carolina right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So are, you guys opened up quicker than Pennsylvania, and especially for our other guests that he is not again. He took longer to open up, for sure, He being in California. So go ahead and introduce our guest. It's really an honor to have him on the show.
2: Great. Well, it's my, is it my turn? Is it my pleasure? Yeah. Um, thank you, guys, both for having me
0: here. Really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. Just an honor, again, to have you on the show, uh, Tony. And you know, and we're going to get right into specific questions. But how have you been surviving during this pandemic? You know, is it, was it hard for you? Because I'm sure you travel a lot. Um you know it's funny I I travel in spurts you know there's there are
2: times there was one year when I was like the second year I was uh dating my wife uh I was gone half the year you know what I mean so some years are like that where literally I'm home you know I mean I would go on these military tours with the DOD and armed forces entertainment and I'd be gone for for 3 quarters of a month you know I was in Tokyo and uh you know parts of Japan I was in Japan twice South Korea all over Europe and stuff like that so you know, I really enjoy doing that, but it takes you away for a long time. And then, you know, uh, then are periods where I don't leave the house for months. You know I mean? it's, so it really does uh, vary from, you know, depending on how many jobs I've got, how many public speaking things I have. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic, I've been busier than ever because of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that I do is online anyway. You know, I mean, I, my brand new uh, supplement line called Power Life, everything is online, you know, so a lot like today, for example, later in the afternoon. I've got a three and a half hour voiceover session that I'm going to do in my closet, right? So I'm busier like that. I mean, I'm not driving to Calabasas like I normally would. So there's that. And then I'm shooting a lot of videos. I'm doing three free workouts a week on Facebook Live. That that keeps me accountable. Keeps it, my fans accountable. Yeah. So I'm just keeping myself super busy. And um, you know, other than not really leaving the house much, I have left this house three times in ten weeks. So, but then again, I have gyms everywhere. I got a gym downstairs. I got three outside. You
0: know what I mean? So. And I do a lot of Zoom workouts just like this. So that's surprising. 3 I, I'm the one that goes grocery shopping all the time. So I guess, Tony, you have someone else getting, doing your groceries then. My wife is all about the gro- groceries. That's right. She's, she. Oh, so you that. lucked out. You lucked out in that. My wife's like, no way. You go and get infected. So I have to go. All right, Brian, go with your first question for Tony. Great.
1: So, Tony, I was curious. Um, when you were growing
2: up, were you always athletic? No, sir. I, I always wanted to be. My father was a super jock. You know, he was the captain of his baseball, basketball, and football team, you know, when he was at Tabor Academy. And, you know, he, he was, uh, he played, he, he got recruited by the uh, then New York Giants. He was a pitcher. He threw a hell of a fastball and a curveball, and he'd hit you a lot, too. So he was a wild man. You know what I mean? He, when he was growing up, the coaching and mentoring and teaching was this, you know, like win or loss column only kind of philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. And he just despised it. And so he kind of left me alone, maybe to the point where it was almost too much. I would have liked a little bit of guidance. Uh, so I was self-taught when it came to everything, and I didn't really begin to figure things out until I got to college. I mean, I played sandlot football and tennis and golf, and you know, I would play sports poorly. <laughs> you know, I didn't exercise though. It was the sixties and seventies, like, you know, exercise, that's something you did in gym class, you know, and it right. wasn't a thing. <laughs> you know, but but in college, I took a weightlifting at like a hypertrophy class. Uh, that I really fell in love with. And, I, and oddly enough, my GPA went up that semester, you know, little you know, that I know that it was changing my brain chemistry as I was you know, breathing heavily, doing all these exercises and being very consistent with it. Cause you know, you had to be consistent, you had to go to class and you had to go to class and you lifted weights, so I didn't stake. And you know, I got stronger and I, my physique changed and, and I just felt better and slept better. All kinds of interesting things happened. Then I came out to California and the culture out here was, was something I had never, you know, this was back in 1980. I mean, there were gyms on every corner, and, and, um, and you know, I mean, it's a, it's a 365 kind of a fitness atmosphere. You can go skiing and surfing on the same day out here where
1: I live. Yeah, so, wow.
2: So I just fell in love with that, and it was really new to me. And then, you know, eventually I, uh, I started training people. I didn't have a certification. People just saw that I was getting really fit. My boss noticed and friends of mine noticed, and other people said, hey, do for me what you did for you. I go, like, okay, you know, so. right. And then I got Tom Petty, and uh, and then before I, you know, before you knew it, I was training rock and roll for for quite a few years
0: there. Really? Oh, the Tom Tom Petty. Oh my! You've heard so you've heard that Tom Petty story, how he got discovered. Then I interviewed the person that wrote Tom Petty and Me, and he talked about how Tom Petty was discovered and stuff on the rock and roll and all the radio and all that stuff, and how basically not unknown, and then the radio made him a star overnight. And that's yeah. Yeah, his early days with Mud Crutch. I mean, I trained
2: Tom for 30 plus years. Wow. So I went on tour. I went on tour with him twice. And um, yeah, so I knew everything you'd want to know.
0: <laughs> That's another book, right? <laughs> That's
2: yeah. Between him and Billy Idol and uh, Annie Lennox and uh, Stephen Steven Stills from Crossream Stills National Young. And you know, I mean I had uh, my Monday, Wednesday, Friday client list was uh, my first client was Billy Idol. Then I had Tom Petty. Then I had Annie Lennox. Then I had Stephen Stills and then I had Bruce Springsteen. I had the five of them in one day, three days a week, you know, for a short period there. They would travel and go on tours and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, there's a book or two there one day.
0: Oh, yeah. Teaching how amazing. to become a celebrity trainer. Because again, the celebrity trainer can give you that branding and we'll have to find out in the story more. So, Brian, go ask the next question. and I'm sure it's going to lead us to why Tony loves this so much.
1: Yeah, so, so my next question was, you know, when did you know or kind of begin to figure out that motivating people to commit to uh, health as a lifestyle was something you were passionate about?
2: Well, you know, it was, it was very haphazard. You know, there was a lot of serendipity and kismet that happened. Uh, you know, I came out to, to L.A. to be an actor and a comic, and, okay. you know, I dabbled in that. I was with Second City L.A. I did stand-up for two years, or at least I tried, you know, going on, you know, cold uh, open mic nights or no picnic, you know, you're traveling like an hour and a half from your house to, to get that 1130 slot when you showed up at eight o'clock to sign up. I mean, there's nothing fun about those early days of comedy, but you know, I did a lot of scene study. You know, I, I had four different acting coaches when I was here and the, the, the fitness and the exercise was a side thing. You know, I mean, I was a carpenter and a handyman, and I was a go go dancer at Chippendales. And I, you know, I mean, I had every weird, crazy job you can imagine. When I completely ran out of money, I would have to put on, I was a, you know, I was a trained pantomime, so, and a street performer. So I'd put my hat out on the street, and, you know, in Westwood near UCLA or down by the the pier in Santa Monica. And that's how I'd make enough money to live on Cheerios and yogurt for three days one breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, you know, the whole exercise fitness trainer thing. I, I don't know. I don't know what that was. But then, you know, when my boss, when I finally got a gig over at 20th Century Fox, I was a runner or a production assistant of their, you know, my first client was, was my boss. Cause I had an agent and the agent said, Hey, pudgy little skinny guy, you need to, you need to change your physique. If you want to get more jobs here in the city of angels, you know what I mean? You, yes. you can't be out of shape and pasty, you know what I mean? So, okay. My agent said, so I'm going to do it. And I got into it, man. I was in the gym five, six days a week. And, and I, you know, I read a lot of books. And I spied on Arnold. I mean, I was, in, I was at uh, World Gym. I'd spy on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno. Like, what are these guys doing? Like, 40 sets of chest. Seems extreme, but I'm in. You know what I mean? So, uh, and then I got, uh, his name was um, uh, Harlan Goodman. He was over at 20th Century Fox trying to make movies. And I got him. I, he lost 40 pounds, 35 pounds, actually. And then Tom Petty, they had a connection from the music industry years before. Tom saw Harlan at East End Management. Oh my God, Harlan, you look fantastic. <laughs> I'm going on tour and I'm fat. and I, Nobody likes a fat rocker. How did you get in shape? I've never seen you look like that. And Harlan said, I was Tony Horton. So Tom Petty calls my house. And so my roommate picks up the phone. Hello, hi, it's Tom Petty. Of course, Bob, my roommate looks at me and says, Yeah, dude, I think it's the guys downstairs screwing around. I said, hang up. So my roommate hung up on Tom Petty. I called right back, though. Hey, I think we got disconnected. It's like then Bob turned to me and goes, I I think this is Tom Petty. So I went to Tom's house the next day, put out a cigarette. When I walked in, gold records and platinum records all over the wall. I had him for four months. I got him ripped, man. I mean, I mean. Really? he He couldn't bench 10 pounds. And he was benching 45s. He was hit, smacking the crap out of a heavy bag. I mean, he was wearing... You know, no shirt and vests on stage. No one had ever seen that before because he was completely, I mean, he was like yeah. you
0: know, jacked up and then the phone rang off the hook and all of a sudden, Oh, I guess I'm a trainer now.
2: You
0: know? yeah. So I guess you didn't answer the question for Brian. So when did you know it was your love? When I started training Tom Petty. Yeah. yeah. When I, when I noticed that I could trance.
2: like here was this super important guy, right? I had a major influence on a lot of people in the music industry and his stamina was down and his energy was down and his voice wasn't quite what he wanted it to be. And through exercise and better diet, he went off on that tour and he kicked the crap out of it, right? And so I was like, oh my God, that, that was me. You know, I mean, all those management people were like, holy crap, you, you know what you've done for this man? And so that's the reason why the, the phone rang off the hook, you know, and I, I still pursued acting and did commercials and small parts in TV shows and movies, little teeny things. But that's when I went, wow, this is really fun. I, I love impacting people this way. Especially, you know, my start was like just not working at a local gym like I of other people, just, you know, random people coming in. I was dealing with major celebrities right out of the box. So I was dealing with their temperaments and, and a lot of different things. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ego involved there. And they liked me just because I was a regular dude. You know what I mean? And so I thought I can make more money, have more fun, hang out with really amazing people. And I don't have to be a mime at the pier anymore.
0: Sign me up. That's <laughs> And right. so yeah, exactly. had that entertainment dream. And I think, Brian, that's what he had. And that's the same thing I do. I do a lot of things in business around. I love being an entertainer, a former professional wrestler I am, uh, Tony. And, you know, and I always want to stay in entertainment even as a teacher. And I found other things so I can do my passion, which is radio and television and doing these celebrity interviews to build my business and my brand. So I found something I love. But ultimately, if I could get paid for something that not many people get paid for, what a dream. And at one point, that happen. But at least I found things I love that can work around that so it doesn't feel like a job. All right, Brian, next question. Because I know everyone wants to know how Tony Horton became more than just Tom Petty's trainer. (laughs) <laughs> right so that leads me to the question how did you develop your programs you know what was
1: it that got you developing to so many of these programs that you've created over the years
2: that's a great question um you know there, there were people in the industry uh, uh billy blanks for one you know what i mean and, and doing the tybo thing and then of course it was tony little with the gazelle and yeah. jane fonda and uh, suzanne summers you know and there they had a certain impact on a certain population, but everybody else who wasn't really into the at-home workout stuff, they were going to the gym, right? So when I was first starting out, you know, my, my, my own, my focus and one of the things that I learned early on was the more variety that I gave myself, the faster the results would be. So what happens to a lot of people is they start doing just yoga or just martial arts or just boxing or just bodybuilding or just cardio or, you know know what I mean? Um, Or they're, you know, they're very specialized. And a lot of those people had very specific types of bodies based on what they were doing because what they were doing was very similar day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. And, you know, because I have a very, you know, I have ADD and ADHD and LMNOP, uh, NYPD, blue, I got all the acronyms, you know what I mean? So, so I don't have much of an attention span. And I got really bored doing the same things over and over again. So I went, all right, well, I'm going to start doing some track workouts, or, you know, I'm going to go to a yoga class, or I'm going to start doing, you know, this, these, these uh, uh, aerobic Routines, even though I'm the only guy in the class, I don't care. I just want to learn. I was just in a process of learning, and I noticed that the more variety that I that I gave myself, the, the more my body developed, the more, the faster the fat the fat would come off. Because most people don't succeed with exercise because of boredom, injuries, and plateaus, right? So they start something and they get bored because it's the same old thing, and they 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 get injured because it's the same old thing, and they they get plateaus because it's the same old thing, right? So. You know, the philosophy behind P90X, X2, X3, 22-minute hardcore, all of them, even the new one on Gaim on the next level, is give people enough variety so those three things don't happen. And so you get people who lose 200 pounds. You get people who never been, you know, who are in their 50s who look like they're in their you know, late 20s, you know what I mean, because they're eating better and they're exercising in a variety of ways. And I use Tom Petty and Billy Idol and Bruce Springsteen as my, and all these people as my guinea pigs. I'd show up and go, hey, guess what? We're doing something new today. Hey, guess what? We're doing something new today. And they're like, oh, man, I just, got, I just started figuring that out. And I said, yeah, yeah, but the idea here is to try to get you in the best possible shape so you don't get hurt, you don't get bored, and you don't plateau, right? So, and there's a lot of stake here because you got a big movie coming up or you got a big tour coming up. So, let, you know, So it was school all the time, and it was school all the time for me, and I'm still in school. And that's why I'm able to continue to develop new programs that are for, sort of different from one to the other. If you look at P90X, we had a term called muscle confusion, which was a made-up term, just made it up, but it described what it was. It was confusing your muscles from week to week because if you look at the entire program of P90X, for the first six days, you do this, and then you do that for the first three weeks. And then the fourth week, you change it completely. You have what we call a rest week, which wasn't much of a rest week, but it was just yeah. – Mellow or less intense. Then the following month, it was completely different. And then the, the last month it was different. And so, and it's odd, it's strange that no one's tried to rip that off. They really haven't yet. But thank God, even though that program's sixteen years old. So that that was it. It was my own determination to just expose myself to as much as possible. Then do that for
0: my clients, and then it just made sense to, to do that with all my programs. Now, when you That's think great. about P90X, that just changed your life, right? In a lot of ways, having your own program, right? I
2: mean, you know, prior to P90X, there was something called Power 90,
0: which if you're, you know,
2: an old Tony Horton fan, you bought that on VHS tape, you know what I mean? There was no internet, there was no, there were no phone, you had a car phone, if you were rich, you had a car phone with a thing, you know what I mean? But that's how old that was, and Power 90 was sort of the launching point, and then uh, then P90X just went skyrocketed. I mean, I, I was living in the same apartment for 21 years, and I was training all these big shot celebrities, but I lived in a. A crappy part of town and a bad place where my car got broken into every Thursday, whether it needed to be or not. You know, what I mean, it was just. And those were the early days, and I didn't. I didn't have any real success until the age of forty-six. So you know, I mean, um, well, I'm a little earlier. I think Peanut Power ninety. I was about
0: forty-three or forty-four. Oh my gosh. Um, wow.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I just, you know, I mean, all these books are personal development except for some rock climbing and mountaineering books. It's mostly just personal development, you know, from Deepak Chopra to Tony Robbins to oh, Richard wow. Carlson to, you know, Gary zukoff uh, Keith Ellis, it's all back there, man. And so, you know, when I came out to California, you know, I was still suffering from a speech impediment and, and real, real insecurity issues. And I was a major, major procrastinator. And uh, you know, I just assumed that if things, are, you know, making dramatic paradigm shifts just was not in my lexicon, you know, it just didn't exist. But then I just, you know, I went to to all those personal development seminars down by the airport. Why are they always by the airport, but they are, you know what I mean? Maybe they're they're people that get their money and they try to escape. But I mean, I learned a ton and I just rearranged the way I thought, you know what I mean? And exercise and diet was the foundation to all of that, because I learned later, later from John Rady, who wrote the book Spark, that physical fitness changes every aspect of your, not only your physical, but your mental and emotional state. You release norepinephrine and dopamine and brain derived neurotropic factor. There's all these neurotransmitters that just light up like a Christmas tree, man, when you start to breathe heavy. And when you do, you're like, oh, you know what? I feel like saying yes more often than no. And so all my no's turn into yeses. And, and by the way, I fell on my face a thousand times. I mean, I made so many mistakes Right. On. But I didn't care, like I wasn't attached to the outcome that much. You know, it made my whole thing was show up and see what happens and learn from it. And and you know, all that, all that I guess the short answer is I was doing all of that, adding all that muscle confusion as we like to call it. And so I developed a program that didn't exist on Earth. I mean, did I know we were gonna sell? I don't know. I think there were six million copies in the end. Right. Eleven in all, including the pirated ones.
0: Um, but but yeah, we, we made a major impact on people's lives around the world. It's pretty amazing. So Brian, it's interesting looking at 47, I might still have a chance, right? Even though I've, I've struggled through as entrepreneur success, but not to that level. And then one thing pops or you figure out one thing. And I guess that's where you see, Tony, all those mentors the books you've read and self-help that really keeps you going even through the tough times. Absolutely.
2: And you know, 47, you're just a punk kid, man, like I tell you, right? So uh, and as a, as a former wrestler, you know the drill, man. It's not new to you. It's just, it's just, you know, the key is purpose, plan, and accountability, right? So, that's sort of the foundation of, of how people get, you know, motivated and stay consistent, right? So, if your purpose is, oh, you know what? I want to feel great today. I want to improve my mental and emotional state. I want to improve my sex drive. I want to have my, you know, I want my circadian cycles at night when I sleep be you know good so I wake up invigorated in the morning. You, you know what I mean? Like, if you know that, is, if you believe that, like, church, you know what I mean? Like, okay. Uh, Forget about the future. Like people who are exercising because they want to look different in the future, or make comparisons to the past, or have other people say nice things about them. Like, what is? That's the worst purpose, purpose of all, because it's all about your ego, man. And your ego will take you down every time. So you just do it for yourself, and you want to improve today. Then you get up and you move your ass. You know, I mean, it's that. And by the way, it doesn't have to be P90x. It can be anything. Go for a a walk up a hill. I don't care. As long as your your lungs are working from the midway point down. You know what I mean? Because most of us are just using the top half, you know what I mean? Especially now during this with the virus. I mean, it, the virus exposes lung weakness. Of course, if you've got type 2 diabetes and hypertension and heart issues, right? But you want to you make sure right now, and I do more cardio now than ever. I'm not a cardio junkie. I just want to make sure that I'm taking care, making my lower lungs more durable and less vulnerable to this illness so that if I do get it, you know, I can kick its ass. That's, that's the whole right. point. Makes sense. All right, Brian, next question.
1: So and you mentioned this, and when you're talking about training people like Tom Petty, they have all kinds of egos and, and ideas, but they, ha- they wanted to change. What, do you, what are some of the keys that you've seen as far as like changing people's mindset? If they've got one mindset about either health or exercise or they're eating, what, do you, what are some of the keys as a motivational speaker that you've seen and in research you've done for your books? that have been important to help people make
2: those changes that they, that they say they want to make and really do want to make? Well, you know, one of the things is I try to soften the blow, you know I mean? If you look at P90X, you know, it has the word extreme, in the title, but I mean, I give people so many versions of any particular exercise that almost anybody can do it. You know, if Jeremy Yost, who weighed 380 pounds can do P90X and lose 180 pounds, that means I created a formula for him. Right. And if you're an ex gymnast who's 28 years old, and needs to lose eight pounds, well, then, you know, you're, you're, you're good to go. But I understand that there are moms in Kansas with five kids and a busy schedule. So I made something called a P90, which is a really easy, mellow, short exercise program that's doable because you have time restrictions. 22 Minute Hardcore was a military based program, you know, that's 22 minutes. right? And I have 10 minute trainer. 10-minute trainer means you just break your workouts up in 10-minute chunks. And if you don't have 10 minutes, you just don't care. I can't help you. You know what I mean? you got to go on some kind of fad diet and hope that you're going to lose a few pounds so you look halfway decent in the future, which has nothing to do with your health and your wellness, right? So, you know, it was a combination. And, I mean, when I wrote um, the big picture, the 11 laws that will change your life, these were 11 things that I discovered that I needed to do um, so that I can be consistent, right? So that I can create a plan so that I can be accountable so that I can keep my expectations down and not make it about my ego, you know what I mean? And, and show up on a regular basis. And a lot of it is just came from here. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I like what's in that book. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, rephrase it. I mean, everything is, is regurgitated and recycled, you know what I mean? But, but, and another thing too is success comes from, you know, taking the pressure off, figuring out ways to be consistent having a plan, like, you know, make your, like, what are you going to do? And what and how are you going to do it? And do that in advance, just like everything else in your life, right? So, you know, one of the things that helps that I do that helps people stay motivated is, you know, a lot of people are surviving, right? They're just getting by, and they're paying their bills, and they're going to work, and they can't figure out why they're kind of miserable more, more than they are just fired up. You know what I mean? And so, Um, you know, if you're consistent with it, right, like everything else, you're going to do more than just survive, you're going to thrive. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to survive or do I want to thrive? Thrive involves the foundation of two things, two things you can control. I can't control the weather, I can't control a pandemic, I can't control the traffic, I can't control the members of my family, but I can control what I put in my gob and I can control whether I decide to move or not today. And if I do those two things, all the things that are outside of my control, I got the energy and the power to deal with those things in a better way.
0: That's it. So those are the only ones you're in control. You're not in control as an entrepreneur. You're more in control of your body and your health than anything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, a different- you know, people have, people suffer from pain and fatigue on some level, physical, mental, or emotional pain or fatigue. Right. And if you get up in the morning and your back is killing you and you're just, and you're, and you're just exhausted, you know, by 1 in the afternoon, that means you're eating the wrong foods and you're not, you're not teaching your body to be stronger, more durable. And so if you have the will and discipline to do those things. And you don't even have to go to, you know, uh, grad school or, you know, you can take seminars and do different things to, you know, change your perspective here. But but really, if you're I can't tell you how many people who never graduated high school who just started exercising and eating right and reading a little self-help and became millionaires.
0: You know, Ah, that's a point. So that's the, the missing component for me. So I have to get I was getting back in shape three years ago you tell him tony three years ago and i had a great trainer i love the board where you go and do a 30 minute workout and it's all bored the whole way through and that and then he would just okay and i never saw it that way and then i did powerlifting. and then you know i had to get a job again and different life life happened now i'm ready blah blah neil simple question how do you
2: feel after a workout that feeling you
0: have, fantastic great.
2: how do you feel when you don't work out at all that not, not good like Bingo.
3: here's your answer
2: by yes. the way write that put that on your refrigerator the back of your front door or your, or your or your bathroom mirror put it right there you know how you feel when you do it and All you right. we so only
0: know. have a certain amount of time tony i'm the one that sticks to times latest product project All right. right now go ahead
2: well you know uh power life is where i'm putting a lot of my energy um you know I, I have a new series a workout series called the next level with gaim and that's going gangbusters really fried up about that but power life you know there's a uh, I was with Beachbody a bunch of years, and um, you know things changed over there for me, and 20 years was a great run. I still really love and support that organization, but I wanted more freedom. I wanted to try new things. They didn't want to do a supplement line with me, and uh, the folks at Golden Hippo said, hey, man, Tony, we really love your philosophy. You got re- I got really sick in 2017, and I needed to find some formulations to help bring me back. You know, I mean, that's why I had these conversations with those folks. So there's a whey protein, vanilla chocolate, there's plant-based vanilla chocolate. Um, there's an endurance formula, which is really great for, for exercise, um, you know, during exercise. Uh, and one of the best products that I think I've ever had, it took a lot of time to develop is called foundation for, you know, the fiber, the probiotics, the, uh, the magnesium, um, uh, you know, and all the, in, in, five servings of vegetables. I mean, ridiculous. Oh. You know? So every morning and every night, boink, right there in a shake. Uh, and it's going back gangbusters. We sold out.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. You
2: know, um good news, and bad news, but, but we're thrilled. It's going great. It's and if you want to find out about that, you know,
0: a new challenge for you, Tony, because you're used yeah. to the workout. Now you have the, that product. It's different because it's, supp- it's different than, you know, just the workouts. Now it's the nutrition, which you've wrote about in books, but now it's your nutrition. That's got to feel great. It's it's wonderful, man. And at sixty one years old, you know, I mean, I understand the importance
2: of supplementing your, your diet so that you can, you know, recover. It's about recover and energy. You know what I mean? And so
0: you look like you're forty, uh, man. If you're dragging, it's how really difficult. You but if you're taking the right thing, how are you sixty one? You look like you're forty. July second, nineteen fifty eight. I am
2: um, very lucky with the hair. I got, I just got yeah, you know, know both my both my parents.
0: I can't wait to hit. They finally opened up the uh, haircut places. I'll look a lot better next week. Tony, I've been, but you I look ha- marvelous, Neil. Come on. Uh, <laughs> oh, there, there goes. We should definitely 61. Brian, uh, last question for you again. People can friend go check out Brian Cress and Cress Fit as well. But, uh, Tony, best place we can find info on you because we're gonna have to let him go. But, you uh, uh
2: Tony Horton Everything you ever want to know about me, what, the, what you know, my live events, all the products I'm, I'm providing in the world, Tony
0: importantlife.com all right and 30 20 seconds brian last words uh, i mean i just really have enjoyed talking
1: to you tony it's been great to hear obviously knew about p90x in the program my kids have done the program i mean it's 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 and i love the term muscle confusion i think about that a lot of times when i'm doing my exercises and it's just been great to hear from you on this and i, I look forward to seeing What else, you know, as you do your new programs and checking out your new books and everything.
2: Thank you. Yeah, we got a brand new line of fitness equipment that'll be out. You know, with the pandemic, it was a little difficult with factories and stuff. Really, you know, jump ropes and mats and med balls and things. Uh, TH Fitness is the name, so that'll be soon, too.
0: All right. Well, you have to come back, Tony. We'll let you go now, but we'll talk soon, man. All right. You got that. all All right. That was, again, the Neil Haley Show. Take care, everyone. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the Caregiver Dave celebrity segment. And it's television as well now, Dave. Get ready. It's gonna this just is the start to doing more and more of me on camera. Cleaned up a little bit, Dave, haven't I?
4: You certainly have. I'm very proud of you.
0: Can't not the weight you've lost. So you you've really, during the quarantine, have lost weight, right? Didn't you say you're on yeah. this police Yeah, Oh, way
4: before the quarantine, I went on keto, lost 20 pounds. And I'm keeping it off.
0: Oh, well, see, that's great. I you myself look as, good as me now. Put twenty pounds on to ready to be back in the wrestling ring. So that's not <laughs> that's not the best uh even though I'm gonna be honored in this one circle deal where they're coming back in pro wrestling, they're asking me for my videos. I'm like, oh great. Another thing I have to go find. Okay, but Dave, introduce our guest, an Olympic champion, a tremendous story. Go ahead. Laura Wilkinson, gold medal. And she's trying to
4: reclaim the gold medal back um, or an additional gold medal. She's had an accident, surgical spinal reconstruction, something like that. We'll find out more about that. My original notes are somewhere else because we switched uh, platforms here. But uh, Laura, welcome to the show.
5: Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Sorry
4: for that terrible introduction. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's that's a good introduction, Dave. You don't want to put yourself down. It's called monitor and adjust before the holiday. So, how are you surviving uh, the quarantine? Yourself?
5: Uh we're surviving. You know, I think we hit a wall at one point with the kids. I have four little kids, and so it, it got a little hairy there. But I think we're uh, we we made it through, and we're we're going to make it.
0: <laughs> that's so, that's so, a good thing.
5: Yeah.
4: So, Laura, I want I want to let you know that you are not the first gold medalist that I have interviewed. I had the privilege and the honor of interviewing um, Bruce Jenner when oh, wow. um, he had uh, won three-time gold medal winner, the greatest athlete in the world, right? When you win three medals, that's what gives you that title. And I, I interviewed him when he was Caitlyn Jenner, but that's okay. <laughs> He's still a great athlete. So I wanted to ask you, um, what age did you start training to win this gold medal?
5: I actually didn't start diving until I was about 15, which is really late. Yeah, but I grew up as a gymnast. So I kind of had like the flipping the air awareness. I kind of knew how to do that. I just had to figure out how to go from my feet to my head instead. Um, but I, I loved it. It was like gymnastics into the water for me. I fell in love with it day one and um, got pretty good pretty fast because of that background.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like, when like you talk about that whole process of deciding gymnast before was your dream to be a, a gold medalist gymnast
5: oh yeah I saw Mary Lou Retton do that perfect 10 vault oh. and uh, that was what I wanted to do you know but I realized about 13 or 14 that I was not going to be at that level in gymnastics although it was good and I and I loved it I just had a very realistic <laughs> conversation with myself knowing that I wasn't going to be there and I really wanted to find something that I could be that great at and so I actually just started trying out a bunch of other sports to see like what that fit was. Cause I just had this dream of going to the Olympics and I had to figure out how to do it.
4: Wow. So you obviously had a lot of, uh, natural talent. And how old were you when you won the gold medal?
5: At 22.
4: Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and then, um, just to fast forward, what happened between then and now to where you, uh, your life kind of went into this unexpected uh, problem.
5: Oh, you know, life's crazy like that. I actually <laughs> dove. Um, yeah, so I won I won in 2000. So it was 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. I continued on and went to two more Olympic Games and retired in 2008 because I wanted to become a mom. Although I was 30 and I was already like twice the age of my competitors. You know, I was already the old lady of the sport. Um, I didn't quit because I was done diving or I didn't want to do it. But I really wanted to be a mom and I knew that window would be short. And so... <laughs> Um, you know, it took took a while to get our kids, but fortunately we have two um, via birth and via adoption. So four okay. little kids total, which has been amazing. And I always wanted to come back and, and try it again, but like the timing was just never right as we're bringing them home or I was pregnant. And um, fortunately I got to go to 2012 and 2016 Olympics with NBC. And so I was still kind of in that scene and I knew mm-hmm. it was going on. And in 2016, I actually started playing in the pool just for some like mommy time, like some me time to get away from my, my kids for one hour a week. And my coach, they just come play. And so I would do that like one hour a week, I'd come play in the pool. And it it just kind of like home you know and it just came back really quickly and I asked my coach like would I be crazy to do this again and he said no and so I was like all right maybe I'll give it a whirl and um you know things came back really quickly and by 2017 I, I got second at nationals like six months after getting my dives off the 10 meter platform and I was excited but then 2018 rolled around and we we had struggles bringing our fourth daughter home from ethiopia. We were adopting her and then Once we did finally get her home um, I realized my arm was like collapsing on every impact off the 10 meter and I I didn't understand what was happening because I was strong and finally an MRI of my neck revealed that I had um, some really degenerated discs and it was um, Compromising my spinal cord and it was really bad. So it was kind of a scary moment Like I thought I was gonna have to retire and just you know, be mom and be okay with that. But then they told me that, no, you have to have the surgery anyway. You have to have it fused just to be safe so that if you don't yeah. get in a car accident, you'll become a paraplegic. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to have this done. But um, the beautiful thing of that was is I went through the surgery. Now I will be safe and healthy as a mom, but it also affords me the opportunity to dive again. And, you know, I use this orthovix bone stimulator and, um, you know, I did all these things to try to help my recovery just speed up. And, and I kind of just did everything that I was told to do by my doctors. Yeah. I wanted it to go really well. And I was back in the water after three months, very slowly, still stiff. Yeah. Oh. Um, you know, I, I took most of 2019 to work my way back up to the 10 meter. And I started competing this spring again, uh, February and, and March, I had some comp my first competition since before the surgery. So I was excited and we were like going for it, you know, and then all of a sudden all of this lovely I can't, stuff no, happened. No, no
0: <laughs> but I cannot believe how you could be diving at that age in the sport. Is that a normal thing? Or are you just like this? There's not many athletes that are competing in the Olympics in their forties.
4: You know, and know.
0: you have your doctor's blessing.
5: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, but you yeah, know, I was old at thirty for my, especially my event and platform. The women tend to be younger on platform and a little bit older on the springboard because um, it's a little easier on the body to to go down at the lower level. But um, yeah, you know, I like to pave new roads. There's been a few older Olympians. There's Oksana Tsyvintina. I think she just qualified for like her eighth Olympic games in gymnastics. She'll oh, be forty-six wow. next year. Yeah, crazy. And Dara Torres. Won three silvers, I believe, in Beijing at 41. So oh. there have been a few, you know, older women to do it, but I not in my sport.
0: You're so. gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna start a club, right?
5: Well, that would be cool. I you like to start create a, club. a you <laughs> should do a
0: virtual quarantine of medalists that are that are competing at, at a later age in, in in the sport. I mean, that's fantastic. It gives me that mindset. I got to get back in the ring, Dave, as a former pro wrestler. Away <laughs> 20 years. If Laura can do it, away 20 years. Uh, again, I should. Why not? Uh, they, why can't I? Well, again, pro wrestlers—they're <laughs> not in the best shape. You're still out. in your forties, right, Neil? Forty-seven. I'm forty-seven, so 47. I left oh, the okay. rest, pro wrestling ring in Bremen, Germany, at age—I guess. I think
4: Muhammad Ali was doing it in his forties, wasn't
0: he? Yeah, it's amazing. Ric Flair's doing it in his seventies, so we don't even want to until he decided to finally retire. Uh, I don't know. I mean, whatever. But you're—you're you're inspiring. <laughs> But again, that's, again, I need an inspirational thing. I've been creative uh, through the quarantine, but I need an inspiration. Another thing. It's like everything this quarantine says, okay, let's check this off the list. Because I'm, I'm not fearful to try to, I own a uh, digital marketing tech company, but I'm not in publicity, but I'm fearful to expand during this time. It's more I want to learn things and be ready once the economy comes back. Why put all this effort? Because it's not about finding clients. It's about finding the right people to expand. And it's hard to find worker, good workers. So we need to get through all this. And it's a great time. This is the biggest recommendation. Learn something new. Learn 30 things new during this time period because you'll be thanking yourself to educate yourself so when things get normal, the new normal, will be ready. Dave, next question for Laura. So...
4: What are you doing to get ready for this uh, when they do let you uh, compete again?
5: <laughs> Good question. Well, it was a little weird there at first. Uh, I, I was able to borrow some mats from our gym and then do – flips and things here at the house. And we our, our team was having some online zoom workouts daily. And so I'd be up in the game room trying to do my little workout with the team and my kids would be crawling all over me or trying to jump in the workout. And so, you know, at first I was like really frustrated <laughs> at that. Um, but then I realized hey I don't have meat to meet tomorrow. I need to just kind of let go of the control. It's okay if they're part of this. And, and it is, it's been really cool. Cause my kids have been able to see how much work I put into this and I mean they see how hot and sweaty I get they see how exhausted I am they're trying to have conversations with me as I'm like in the middle of huffing and puffing and I can't breathe you know but but they're understanding like what it takes to do something really exciting you know what I mean and, and that it takes a lot of work and now they're starting to encourage me and and they're trying to coach me sometimes and it's it's really fun for them to see it not just that mommy goes somewhere for a few hours to do this thing they're actually seeing it and it's it's been providing some really cool conversations for us and um you know I kind of hope to take this new feeling forward like to just let go of some of the control issues that we all have we all want it to go our way and perfectly and that's just not life it just it throws you punches and every time we've been thrown these challenges every time i've been thrown a challenge like this um you know it's it's taught me i've had to step outside my comfort zone i've had to work on something doing it different thinking outside the box and getting creative and that's always made me better it doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean I always like it but it's always made me better so now i kind of embrace these times and i look forward to okay what, what's going to change? Like, how am I going to come out of this different? And I'm actively looking for it. And it's more of a, an exciting challenge instead of a scary or overwhelming challenge, you know?
0: And then you talk about that process of, because of COVID-19. So you're like, I trained, I, I made this great comeback. COVID-19 comes uh, dealing with it in the training process. How do you feel for other athletes uh, that might not, you know, you know, what to do to keep in the right shape, but, Again, you're you're limited to the pool the first X amount of months to even train, and because you're a world-class athlete. But what about those other athletes that don't have the luxury of, you know, your resume, your your experience, all these things that help you to open a few more doors than an athlete that hasn't gotten to that level? How do you feel for all those athletes that can't compete right now?
5: Well, I think it's all about your perspective. I mean, I went through this at 22. I mean, I I left a college scholarship to go home and train for the Olympics for 2000. And I shattered my foot in three places three months before the Olympic trials. So like, you know, I had to figure out how to get through it. Like everybody's in the same situation right now. Like whether you have experience or not, you are up against a roadblock. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna quit and walk away? Are you gonna feel sorry for yourself and play the victim? Or are you gonna like put your big kid panties on and you know, big girl panties or big boy <coughs> undies on and, and get out there and try something different and, and move past this. It's all about your perspective and what you really wanna do. And I, this is the moment where we're really gonna find out what people are made of. <coughs>
4: She really talks like an Olympian, doesn't she? Bill?
0: That's why I love Olympic athletes because they set the goals so ho- high for themselves, and they yeah. really know. Just can't to complain so- about anything around them. No, you, you, you. Especially if you're gonna, if she was teaching you or coaching you or doing something, and you got on the phone saying, "I forgot to do my write my." you know, something, or I forgot to do my Facebook live. She'd say, why would you do that? There's no reason you would, that you have to keep doing that. I can see that with your kids too. I know you can compete. I know you're tired. You're sick. It doesn't matter. That's the mindset you have to have to be successful. The successful people have a different mindset if they've been successful in anything that there's no roadblock for them. Yes, there's going to be an obstacle, but I'm going to break through that obstacle Day, I'm going to smash it because you have to have that mindset or forget about it. You're not going to be successful. It back your mind. You're not going to, be able to do something. Forget about it.
5: And and I don't want you to think though, as a little Nolan band, I don't want you to think that like, if you don't have that mindset, then you can't do it because that's a mindset that you're not just born with. Like you learn it because you come up against these situations and you make a decision. So anybody can have this mindset at any time when they decide to do it. Some people catch on a lot earlier. Some people catch on later. Some people don't end up with these roadblocks until later in life to when they have to say, oh wow, am I gonna like get up and do this or am I not? So anybody can learn or choose to do this.
4: But the bottom line, Laura, is how bad do you want it? Yes. And what price are you willing to pay?
5: Yep. You got it.
4: So your kids have they caught the Olympian bug too, or
5: <laughs> they they get excited sometimes. I mean, they're still pretty young. My oldest just turned nine, and she actually dove for a couple of years because she she wanted to do what mommy was doing. And she she tells me a lot that she wants to be on TV one day for what for something that she does, like for sports in some way. So I was like, we well, got to pick one and stick with it. But um, yeah, I mean, they they don't totally get what's going on. They do a, a little bit, but um, I think as we get closer and like Olympic trials happen, Olympic games happen, I think they'll start to, you know, understand a little bit more.
0: So how disappointed were you with the Olympics canceled? You talked more about training and what you had to deal with with COVID-19, but the disappointment or how your mindset is to when finally you'll get to complete in the Olympics. It looks like it probably will be without an audience, unless somehow something else happens, you might not perform in front of a fans. There's a good, there's a, there's a decent shot, unless they wait longer and longer, there won't be fans. But I don't know how the Olympics could survive with that compared to NFL or certain other sports.
5: I mean, it's hard to tell because we're still over a year out. So I mean, a lot of yeah. things can change in that time. We'll we'll definitely see then. But uh, you know, the Olympics. <laughs> no matter if it's, it's this you're going through or if it's a normal Olympics, like there's always going to be weird challenges. It's always kind of an unforeseen, like stuff just happens that you are not expecting at the Olympics. So you have to be ready to roll with whatever it is. And bottom line, when you're in your competition, you got to be ready to compete. You know what I mean? You know how to compete. You know what you're <coughs> doing. Um, and that's, you got to let everything else go. No matter if there's 15,000 people in the stands or zero, you still have to be able to get up there and do your thing the way you've been training to do it. You know, that's kind of the bottom line. But when COVID first hit, like I, I was a little... just kind of taken aback I didn't really realize what was going on because I had kind of tuned out the news for a few months because I Mm. was just trying to keep focused and not news can bring me down and then get me upset so I try not to listen to it for a few months so I had no idea what was going on and so when I found out all the NCAAs were getting shut down and it was like all of a sudden the rodeo like everything it was you know it was like every day something was happening we were waking up to a new damage report and and then all of a sudden the Olympics became part of that talk and, and every day you know it was like something's gonna happen something's gonna happen but nothing was happening and that to me was more nerve-wracking than when they finally said okay we're postponing it that was kind of a relieving like okay well, at least we know now and like now we can make a new plan going nice. forward and and i'm really thankful they didn't cancel it because it's never been postponed before it's been canceled for wars it's oh, been wow. um uh boycotted but it's never been postponed so i'm really grateful that they didn't cancel it because i think that would have probably I don't, I don't think i would have gone another four years but one year i can do one year you know and i'm still recovering so for me i'm very fortunate it's a blessing like i have lots of time now to kind of get back into it get comfortable with my dives and be confident hopefully going into next year you know where, where i really Feel for is the athletes who like were pushing so hard and they were so ready, and this was it for them, and they just were ready to move on with their lives. And I mean, I kind of was too, a little bit like ready to move past this, but you know, it's that's the struggle is where, where you have to like kind of like let all that go, you have to kind of grieve it out a little bit, and then you have to like find that fire again and be ready to move forward.
1: Awesome. Uh,
4: <laughs> remind me, is it in China,
5: in Japan, Tokyo,
4: Japan? Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's good yeah
0: <laughs> you said that's good
4: <laughs> well yeah because if it was in china you know there's a lot of uh, anti-china sentiment well, right now that, winter 2022 Then it probably
0: wouldn't happen oh the winter 22 is in uh Beijing. Beijing. good yeah. luck
4: with that let me know how that turns out
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to you the, don't disappoint our winter athletes dave you can't do that now laura what's, what's going are. on with so uh, do you have other things you seem like you would be a phenomenal motivational speaker you seem like you would be a oh, great yeah. coach. Uh, what are you also and doing? An author, but too. An author. Well, see, Dave always has to say, there will be a book <laughs> in the mix once she wins another gold medal. But you let's go. Let's, the, 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 you have to wait to the retirement, the final retirement. But uh, what else are you doing? Are you training or you have other projects as well?
5: I have lots of little things going on. I mean, I'm definitely training. Um, we are back in our dry land gym, but not in the pool yet. Hopefully, later this summer, we'll kind of see. I'm in Texas, so we are reopening, and we're, we're fortunate to kind of be ahead of ahead of the curve there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I have I have a small book coming out. It's not like an autobiography, but it's kind of like a life <coughs> Lessons learned from ten meter, and um, that's coming out this summer. I'm about to launch a podcast. I've done my first six episodes. I'm really excited. It's called The Gold. Yeah, and we're I'm talking to um, Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, experts, um, and just kind of like anything the athlete needs to get to that like ultimate goal. Like that's what we want to give them. So it's been really fun for me because I I'm still an athlete learning too. So it's really fun for me to talk to all these other. Is it a sports podcast? I... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely. then you're.
0: I, thank you. I killed two birds with one stone. I write for go. podcast <laughs> magazine. Awesome. And I do this. I'm the sports category director, and I guess you'll be in August issue then, because uh, I need to get these interviews. And then you're perfect. And uh, I wanted something in another sport, so we'll have to ask a podcasting question before we leave. But All right. I don't know if you checked out podcast. And you're magazine, doing the new really good. And I am featuring this month. Um, oh my gosh, it'll come to me. But but um, I, I interview so many people. But um, podcast <laughs> magazine. Check it out, everybody. It'll come to me after that. But Dave, ask. Uh, your caregiver question and then what I'm going to do is jump back with a podcasting question or two so I can add that to beyond the microphone for the August edition. Go ahead with your question, Dave.
4: Uh, The caregiver question? Yes. All right. Well, I'm caregiver Dave. They call me that because I've been caregiving my wife for the last 21 years. She was complaining about a headache, lost her speech, became paralyzed, had a stroke on one side and uh we had a couple of years of hell you know the grief period we almost broke up but then we 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 hung in there and we you know like an olympian we we stuck it out we our our love slowly rekindled and now we travel all across the country and we share our story how to prevent your loved one's illness or disease from killing you Because there's so many other caregivers out there i mean i've spoken on 34 tv shows across the nation nasdaq uh, carnegie hall harvard uh, Suzanne Summers, Martha Stewart, shared the stage with. And so my question is, I, I wrote this book, um, it's my life to thrive and stay alive as a caregiver. And I've got a membership website, caregiverdave.com to help caregivers just have an online support group. Because I truly believe that everyone, there's no one who's exempt, everyone is going to eventually become a caregiver or need a caregiver. And so now's the time to learn how to become a caregiver. So my question to you, Laura, is have, has caregiving touched your life or the lives of your families or, or relatives?
5: Um, yeah, to an extent. My, my grandmother, um, well, she lost her husband when they first kind of went into a nursing home. And mm. so she was on her own a lot and lived about 20 minutes from us. So we were always kind of down there trying to take care of her and take her out. And uh, my grandfather had dealt with dementia. And so my, my grandmother was trying to take care of him. And that's when it kind of went downhill. So yeah, we've definitely kind of been impacted by that as well. Mm.
4: Wow. Yeah. A lot of people get burned out. So that's why, like I says, anyone who goes to caregiverdave.com caregivers, or even if you're not a caregiver, everyone knows a caregiver and caregivers will give and give and give till there's nothing left to give. So I encourage people who know caregivers to, to buy them a membership in my caregiver Dave uh, wow. website, because they're going to, you might be giving them the gift of life. Exactly. Caregivers will give their last breath to oh. someone else but they won't give anything to themselves you know mm-hmm. got to put your oxygen mask on first
0: yeah. and, I, and i tell you what he's going through with COVID-19 and a lot of these families he's dealing with and caregivers, what they're going through, especially with their loved ones, not being able to practice social distancing. It's so difficult. And when my mom, even though I'm coming to her house for the office, cause I, I have six kids, Laura, and I did, couldn't wow. take it anymore. So I moved my office to my mom's up in the uh, third floor area. Cause I thought I cannot work downstairs in that basement anymore because they're, they're done. They don't have camps, anything. I'm like, I'm out, I have to, I have to, and it was the best deal because I've been the most focused in my office ever in years I work from home. But let's jump to podcasting real quick, a couple of questions. Why did you start the podcast?
5: Well, i just, I love podcasts and um, I wanted to do one a few years ago, but since I was working for NBC, I wasn't allowed to do it at the same time. And then I had an opportunity to jump on with an organization called Hope Sports that brings athletes together to build homes for the poor in Mexico. I'd been on a few home builds. They wanted to start a podcast. So I decided to host for them and um, I got to do it. I did a season with them. Um, that's kind of all they ended up doing, but it was really fun for me to talk to athletes. And I said, well, I want to take it in my own direction. I want to be able to ask them what I want to ask them. I want to bring in more people, and I want to encourage other athletes. I, I have an online course as well where I try to teach mental skills to athletes, um, and I just I want to be able to equip other athletes with all the tools that they need to succeed because not everybody has access to those. So I've just been really fortunate in my life, and I want to be able to pass that on.
0: So what other athletes, what athletes are you, have you, so far, that Ooh. before your podcast, podcast drops, what, what athletes have you interviewed so far?
5: Uh, Greg Louganis, um, yeah, the legend. And uh, Mariel Zagunis, two-time Olympian gold medal fencer. Um, who else I talked to? Kat Osterman. She's uh, on the returning softball Olympic team for 2020. And she was on the 2004 and 2008 team as well. Um, who else did I have? Kim Zumeskel, who is a 1982 Olympic gymnast and is now one of the best coaches in the country. A um, lot, lot of fun people like that. So it's been really good.
0: Yeah, and that's awesome. And what makes you the happiest about podcasting, the challenges and the challenges of podcasting? Your kids being here, the truth, finding the right place to do it, right? Yeah, I
5: hide in the closet. So we just do audio. We don't do any video because you just see my dirty laundry. Like I tell people as a joke, like this is where we air our dirty laundry. It's okay. You're safe here. (laughs) Nobody else can hear you. Um, But but I have learned that that's the best sound in my house is in the closet where the clothes can like muffle all the echoes and stuff. And so that's, it's been kind of fun Mm -hmm. to learn those things.
0: Awesome. And the feature for uh, this coming month, June, is Ike Taylor. I just had to remember that. I've interviewed so many people, Laura, just this week I can't even remember, and that's wrestling from CTE, but maybe not, maybe because I'm just too much and I'm as energy-leveled as you are, as we just keep going, going, going. This is a Friday at 5.30, everybody, just to know, So, and 4.30 for her time, and it's a Friday, and we're ready for the long weekend. Best place we can find information on you. Where can we go?
5: At Laura wilkinson.com. You can find all my socials and all my stuff
0: there. Awesome. And Dave, caregiverdave.com. Great interview. Caregiver Dave. And Dave, again, I always get you moving, right? On a Friday or whatever day it is. You never know who you're going to interview and uh, you, you're great at monitoring and adjusting. And that's what a journalist does, monitors and adjusts. Well, thank you again for listening to the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment, Guys. Yeah. You're listening to Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. My good, my buddy, my pal. We just never know who we're going to talk to next. Caregiver Dave Nisani. Dave, uh, how are you? And uh, you great, know what? I great. just I just feel great about the economy. I really do. I'm ready to be rolling. I, I, You know, we still are the new normal, but it's great to see everywhere open up. And it's shocking to see California opening up, Dave.
6: Yeah, Um You know, I have a gas station. For those of you who don't know, and we're about ninety-five percent of normal. People are coming out of the woodwork on the highway. They're they're stir crazy and they're they're on the road and they're just going wherever they want to go. And I'm selling them gas. I'm selling them face masks. I'm they're using my restroom. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, David, introduce our guest.
6: Well, we have an attorney today, uh, John O'Connor, and he's an experienced trial attorney. Practicing law in San Francisco of all places since '72, so he's old like us. <laughs> yep. He's tried cases in state, federal courts throughout the country. Served an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California from '74-'79, representing U.S. in both criminal and civil cases. And he's got some pretty famous, ballsy cases here. Um, talking about OPEC, the oil embargo of the '70s, which I was
0: around selling gas then. I wasn't Iranian alive. Okay, State ahead.
6: of mind briefs for prosecution in the United States first Patricia Hurst. I remember her <laughs> representing FDIC, FSLC, and RTC during the savings and loan crisis. Boy, that takes balls. And of late the 80s and the 90s, representing California Attorney General Dan Lungren in campaign related litigation. Boy, if I ever get in trouble. John, I'm going
3: to hire you.
6: <laughs>
0: Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, I like that.
3: I like that. Who cares about my book? Just tell people to hire me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you, and guess what? There's a lot of more opportunities now for being an attorney because you could sue people for. Uh, now you could represent people that are been hurt by the cops if this ends up happening. More lawsuits. Yeah, it's going to open up you more attorneys. Terrible. With, yeah,
6: you even have experience with Mark Cuban.
3: Yeah, we. Oh love, yeah, 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 yeah. Mark and yeah. Yeah. Mark and I became kind of friendly enemies. I ended up, uh, he and, he and I ended up getting along pretty well, even though I don't think I was his favorite person for a couple of years there, but you know, what the heck? Well, so, you're a very
6: timely guest with what's going on today. My first question to you is Antifa <laughs> terrorist group, right? Can he do oh, this? Right.
3: Well, here do this? Well, first of all, he, he's, you know, what I admire, present for mostly he's got great street fighting instincts and what he's, oh, he's doing clean. here and he does not listen there's no first of all there's they're not a terrorist uh, group under the statutes that helps you do anything uh domestic terrorism means nothing under the statutes but because you have to be a foreign terrorist to get any of the advantages of wiretapping and all that stuff but but By calling attention to Antifa, that's a big deal because up to now, they've really gotten by with a lot of stuff. Here they are, very organized, crossing state lines to incite a riot. Uh, I'm no fan of what people did on on either side in Charlottesville, uh, certain people, but nobody paid attention to Antifa there. And there are a lot of really nice protesters, peaceful people out there carrying their candles and all that, but then you've got Antifa. And they are there to disturb the stuff. Let's put it that way. And they're crossing state lines and they are, uh, you know, encouraging people to do violent things. And so, and they I go think, after black people too. It's like some black lives matter. Well, some, I'll tell you this, we've got a nice black guy that was over here in Oakland guarding the federal building and he got ambushed. He just got whacked as uh, somebody else. I think probably the same guy whacked another guy. And, uh, Uh, in Aptos, which is south of San Francisco. So we've had two drive-by assassinations of people in uniform because they were in uniform. Those are assassinations. One of them was a black guy, one's a white guy. Uh, And then there was the fellow David, uh, I forget what David's name is, something not not Dinkins, but close to that, that was the uh, black police officer that got assassinated a little while ago. So yeah, there are a lot of lives and nobody's protesting those. And no. that's what bothers me. It's like, wait, wait, wait a second. If, if I, I was horrified by what happened to, to George Floyd. Like, like most people, like 96% of the country was horrified by it. So who are we protesting against? I don't know. But if this is just a way of, of uh, causing civil unrest, it's bad and uh and we've got it we've got to look at this and people have got to call out antifa on this and that's why i think the president is is smart to to raise their profile no absolutely no democrat will criticize them will they you notice that what kind of you know you hear all this talk about oh speaking truth to power big moral uh, having moral courage and all this these are little pipsqueaks where where are their voices (laughs) where are they you little cowards! You guys are cowards. Look in the mirror and say I am a coward, because you know when when times like this you're supposed to speak out. And there are all kinds of platitudes that people talk about, you know. But boy, who's who's speaking up on this? Nobody on the left side of things is really calling these people out. So let's kill some more I hope police the officers. I hope the independents are listening.
0: So and why? So, so, so Dave, voting. so you see Dave's again, being a commentator, not a journalist. I'm going to go with my journalistic question for our guest. Now, the question I'm going to ask is specifically the, the reason why Antifa's kind of shut down after president Trump went and said, there's no more violence or else we're going to get the National Guard and stop this completely? Have we seen less violent protests, especially Antifa members, after he issued that decree?
3: I think we have. I think uh, even though people protested what he said and made it look like he was some kind of a wild guy for actually saying that we should restore order, uh, the fact is they have stopped to a great